0: This is guns and butter.
1: It's not an informational conference about any specific theme, but it's a political organizing event, and it's a convention in the sense that it aims to bring together representatives of the various movements that can contribute to human progress, I suppose, in our, our part of the world, this would obviously be the peace movement, the anti-globalization movement, the impeachment movement, the labor movement, the civil rights movement in the black community and others, the civil liberties movement against dictatorship and, uh, and uh, police state measures, the voting rights or uh, honest vote count uh, movement. Uh, and, and quite a number of other student groups, uh, with the 9-11 Truth Movement.
0: I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Webster Tarpley. Today's show, the Philadelphia Emergency Anti-War Convention. Webster Tarpley is an author, historian, investigative journalist, and lecturer. In 1992, he co-authored George Bush, The Unauthorized Biography, Tarpley is also author of 9-11 Synthetic Terror, Made in the USA, Surviving the Cataclysm, a Study of the World Financial Crisis, and Against Oligarchy. I spoke with Webster Tarpley while he was in Vancouver at the 9-11 Canada and the New World Order Conference. Webster Tarpley is on the organizing committee of the Philadelphia Emergency Anti-War Convention, taking place on July the 4th, 2007. Webster, you're up in Vancouver, Canada at a 9-11 conference. What's going on? What's the conference that you're at?
1: Yes, thank you very much. Uh, I'm at the uh, 9-11 Truth Conference here in Vancouver, British Columbia. Right, we're, we're about an hour north of Seattle. And it's about 400 to 450 people, very well attended, especially for the size of the, uh, of the city. The conference is entitled 9-11, Canada and the New World Order, Reclaiming Our Destiny. And it's sponsored by the Vancouver 9-11 Truth Society. It's a conference that began on Friday and will end uh, later today. And we have Professor Stephen Jones, who has given us the latest, I mean, stuff from his laboratory that has just come out, say, in the last two weeks on uh, the Thermate uh, Controlled Demolition of the World Trade Center we have got Kevin Barrett, who's actually acting as a Master of Ceremonies, right, the the famous fighter for academic freedom from the University of Wisconsin. And we've got uh, a bill of speakers, including the head, Connie Fogel, who is the chairman, the, the leading person of the Canadian Action Party, which is a nationwide Canadian party. It includes among its members Paul Hellyer, who had been Deputy Prime Minister of Canada and defense minister back in the governments of Pierre Elliott Trudeau in the late 60s and early 70s. Uh, so, this is a, a party that has as one of its main program points the question of 9 11 truth, a demand for 9 11 truth, a rejection of police state measures, a rejection of the North American Union, the Amero, and this entire plethora of supranational social engineering projects, and uh, it's essentially also quite a strong anti-police state um, party. So we have uh, a full bill of speakers. On the program, we find Ken Fernandez uh, speaking on the virtual capitulation of Canadian sovereignty in the post-9-11 world. So... uh, a lot of interesting things. Roland Morgan from London also seems to be here. He's a co-author of an uh, important book with Ian Henschel, The right? book on uh, 9-11, which has been uh, quite prominent in Britain, but perhaps not so much in the United States. Excellent photographs in that book. Professor A.K. Dudney has been placed on the Canadian no-fly list. There's a lot of interest in this because the Canadian no-fly list has now been instituted, and, of course, this is an outrageous, uh, arbitrary, secretive, totalitarian police state measure. Professor Dudney was prevented from flying here. Um, He was going to give a speech on debunking the alleged 9-11 cell phone calls from planes, because that's his his specialty. It's called Project Achilles, where he has, uh, looking for the Achilles heel of the myth, uh, in, in, in some ways uh, he 's he's actually taken cell phones into aircraft and tried to activate them at different uh, altitudes at different speeds and What he finds is that the entire complex of cell phone material that was so important in selling the nine eleven myth to you know hundreds of millions of people across the world that it 's simply impossible in other words there 's very strong evidence that all of those calls were fabricated. And I would add one of the recent uh, things that I've been able to dig up in my research is that there was even a drill, since my thesis is that every aspect of uh, 9-11 terror attacks, of these terror attacks on that day, is conduited or bootlegged or conducted through a drill, exercise, maneuver, anti-terror, military, whatever it is. It's worth noting that there was at the, in the very end of August of 2001, less than two weeks before 9-11, there was a drill where the Department of Transportation was drilling hijacked airplanes and cell phone calls from hijacked airplanes. So even down to this level, it's a drill in addition to the other things that we can say about it.
0: Ironic that they won't let Professor Dudney up in a plane. I guess they don't want him uh, gathering any more right, evidence.
1: That, that, seems to have, that would seem to be the pretext that they might offer, to say you're not allowed to go in planes because you have committed these dangerous actions of, of, uh, of attempting to, to test uh, and testing, indeed, the, the, uh, the cell phones. But that's, of course, just a pretext. What they're doing is a campaign of harassment. The Canadian Action Party is launching a series of lawsuits to get this thing overturned, declared illegal, unconstitutional, which, of course, it is. The Canadians have a charter of rights, and this seems to be a direct violation of that.
0: There's a big event planned on July the 4th in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, that I understand, Webster, you're part of the planning group. Could you tell me about this event?
1: Yes, and I think it's very important, and I'm I'm just delighted to have the opportunity to tell your listeners about it, and I I thank you very much for the the chance to do so. This is called the Philadelphia Emergency Anti-War Convention. Now, this name is already indicative. Uh, We've had so many conferences. This one is a convention in the sense that it's not an informational conference about any specific theme, but it's a political organizing event. And it's convention in the sense that it aims to bring together representatives of the various movements that can contribute to human progress, I suppose, in our, our part of the world. This would obviously be the peace movement, the anti-globalization movement, the impeachment movement, the labor movement, the civil rights movement in the black community and others, the civil liberties movement against dictatorship and uh, and uh, police state measures, the voting rights or uh, honest vote count uh, movement, uh, and and quite a number of others, student groups, uh, with the 9-11 Truth Movement. And it it aims to appeal to people who consider themselves libertarians, conservatives, progressives, leftists, independents, people who have been apathetic, and and again hopefully students, and, and, and they certainly will be there. The goal of this is to respond to the strategic crisis that has been unleashed, and we can talk about this in a minute, the strategic crisis that that we got ourselves into now at the end of May, when the Pelosi-Harry Reid leadership of the Democratic Party decided to vote to fund Bush's escalated, surged war in Iraq, meaning a step uh, towards the attack on Iran, uh, making the war with Iran all the more likely, since also the Democrats had removed uh, any language from any bill that was supposed to tell Bush that he had to get congressional permission before attacking Iran. They, they removed that under pressure from AIPAC and some other, some other groups. So we have a crisis in the sense that the Democratic leadership claims that this is not their fault, that they don't have the votes to pass a bill. And as Kucinich and a few other, very few other honest Democrats have pointed out, they didn't need to pass any bill. They passed one bill, which was bad enough, which gave money to Bush to prosecute the war, but it included deadlines and timelines about some perspective for getting out, and even those were not binding. Bush vetoed that bill. Now, a serious parliamentary opposition at that point would have said, that's it, you've had your chance, there will be no bill, there will be no money for this war, and the troops will come home. Uh, the war is over. There is no money in the budget for this war, and it will end now. Now, obviously, this would have had certain uh, disorderly or even chaotic overtones, but not as bad as the perspective of what's going to happen to those U.S. forces if they stay there indefinitely, which is that they're going to they're gonna be subjected to attrition at higher and higher rates, and they may even at some point encounter this threat of having their supply lines cut meaning that they would be pocketed, uh, uh, decimated, possibly even annihilated as a fighting force uh, if those long, long supply lines that run right across the Iranian front are ever cut. So this is a really big crisis. And the crisis was expressed very interestingly by Cindy Sheehan, uh, one of the obviously public uh, leaders, of the peace movement, perhaps the most famous. It's, it's a person that I've disagreed with uh, many times in the past, but she, she was kind enough to come on our conference call the other night and uh, talk to us about this. She, of course, has now withdrawn from all active political activity. She she is, is not going to be appearing at conferences. She's not going to be making statements, she says. But we started, we took our as our starting points things that she had said towards the end of May and the very beginning of June, I think, before she made this uh, irrevocable decision to, to, uh, to leave uh, political activity for the time being. And what she said was this, that she was sick and tired of the two-party system, that she was in, in no longer willing to subordinate everything to the needs of the Democratic Party and work for them, and she pointed out that she had a great sympathy for the Jersey girls, the 9-11 widows who who have been agitating to reopen the investigation and get some of the secret papers released, that she thought that um, it was time, Cindy Sheehan thought that it was time to reopen the 9-11 investigation because the, the commission had not done its job properly. And then she also added that although she's not an expert on, on building engineering and, and subjects like this, She does believe that there is controlled demolition visible in the collapse of the World Trade Center. So she's talking about independent organizing outside of the Democratic Party. Uh, And she also said, I call upon people from the peace movement to come together in Philadelphia on July 4th and talk about this. Which way should the peace movement go in the light of this tremendous defeat? which for a lot of people means that they had been working against the war within the framework recommended by a number of peace groups, essentially support the Democratic candidates, don't say anything about 9-11 truth, and you can end the war uh, in this way. Because if you say something about 9-11 truth, you'll drive the Democrats away or damage them or embarrass them or whatever it was. That entire organizing model is now in crisis. I would have to say uh, it has failed, frankly. It, It has not gotten the desired Results. So the goal of uh, a couple of people from the Vermont Green Party who started all this, uh, Bruce Marshall and and Craig Hill, both of them, uh, passed uh, statewide candidates uh, in in Vermont. Uh, Craig Hill is now a candidate for next year for the statewide congressional seat in Vermont. They came up with the idea of saying, "Why don't we then take this seriously? Let's see if anybody else is taking it seriously, and uh, and let's have a." political organizing, meaning a convention to deliberate strategy, to see what are the points of program and demands on on which people can agree, and then also what can you do about it. That is to say, um, you can have uh, running candidates. I think that's a very, very important one. That is to start running candidates, and these can be candidates in Democratic primaries or in Republican primaries or in the Green Party or the Libertarian Party or in no party, or the 9-11 party, and, and, but this, all of this would then have to be thrashed out, discussed, and, uh, and, and, and deliberated on. And uh, the idea now is that there's a significant movement. We've had um, quite a number of conference calls. We've, uh, we've actually manufactured these uh, radio spots.
0: Let's, uh, let's listen uh, to the actuality.
1: This was an interview by Cindy, and we should be quite clear about this. This is the sort of fair use doctrine. We took some little extracts from some interviews that she had given at the end of May, just as she was announcing uh, her, uh, her uh, decision that she couldn't continue in, in, the, in the previous mode. And Michael Moore. So we've got that one-two punch.
2: Six years since September 11th ignited Bush's war on terror, Americans live in fear of new false flag attacks while watching our civil liberties being stripped away. Cindy Sheehan recently denounced the Democratic Party and resigned from the anti-war movement.
1: The Democratic Party definitely used the anti-war left in this country to be elected to regain control of Congress, and then they have totally betrayed us.
2: She has called for new progressive approaches to peace, including support for 9-11 truth.
1: And I've signed the petition with the Jersey girls asking for a valid, independent investigation also. I think that the 9-11 commission and their report was, you know, a total travesty and a smoke screen.
2: Meanwhile, filmmaker Michael Moore has joined Sheehan and others questioning 9-11 and the continuing cover-up.
1: There must be a hundred video cameras surrounding the Pentagon. There's footage of that plane hitting the building from uh, numerous angles, and yet we've never seen uh, the footage. Why is that? I think it's a legitimate question to ask. There's a reason why the United States government does not want the world to see the plane hitting the Pentagon, and I'd like to know why that is.
2: Come to the Philadelphia Emergency Anti-War Convention on July 4th. Join with anti-war, impeachment, 9-11 truth advocates, and all citizens concerned about America's future at the Independence Visitor Center, 6th and Market Streets, from 1 to 9 p.m. Together, we'll find common ground for resolving this national crisis. Sponsored by Anti-War Coalition for Truth. ActIndependent.org
0: I'm speaking with author and historian Webster Tarpley. Today's show, the Philadelphia Emergency Anti-War Convention. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter.
1: So, uh, there's an organizing process going on, and I, I want to urge people uh, listening to this, think about... Uh, if you have an organization, think about sending a delegate, sending an observer, send somebody uh, from uh, your group to the Philadelphia Emergency Anti-War Convention. The meeting point is right in the heart of the matter. On July 4th, about uh, noon to 1 o'clock, we'll probably have a press conference a little bit after noon, and then the proceedings will get going at 1 o'clock, and will be going on until until pretty late in the evening, and depending on, on, uh, on, on how these things develop, and it, it depends a lot on what people want to do who attend it, um, it's going to be in the Independence Visitor Center. And that, of course, is right in the middle of Independence Mall in the heart of Philadelphia. It's a couple of hundred yards from Independence Hall, where the Declaration of Independence was signed uh, July 4, 1776. So it's full of this kind of symbolism. And the idea, then, is to come together Uh, There'll be a uh, political paper, two pages, uh, presented by some of the people organizing this. There'll be a number of organizations coming. They're encouraged to present their ideas, put those on paper, submit those, have all this debated, come up with a unified document, and create uh, a united front, in effect, which, which allows different organizations to contribute and take part without dissolving themselves, without sacrificing their independence, their autonomy, their identity. It does the same thing for individuals. It does the same thing for for prominent people, uh, authors of books, uh, radio personalities, TV uh, celebrities uh, also, who who may uh, may well appear, and there's a lot being done uh, on that too. So we invite people to come to it, and um, it seems to me... Let me just mention perhaps some of the, some of the groups that have endorsed it uh, and or some groups who have said that they will come. Uh, and I can't be exhaustive because I've, I've been a little bit out of touch with the organizing for the last couple of days here in Vancouver, but the, the uh, event has been uh, endorsed by uh, the uh, Muslims United with Jews and Christians for 9-11 Truth. It's been endorsed by Peace Action in the Delaware Valley which is one of the largest nationwide peace groups. It looks like uh, the world can't wait. An anti-globalization group is going to attend. We have uh, the Temple University students for 9-11 Truth. They are extremely active. We have the Vermont Green Party, the Vermont 9-11 Truth Coalition. D.C. 9-11 Truth will send uh, more than one delegate We have the We Are Change group from New York City who have, uh, they've inflicted a macaca moment on uh, Mayor Giuliani. Uh, The uh, Project for the New American Citizen from Austin, Texas, is going to try very hard to send a delegate. We've been talking to people uh, at the We the People radio network. That's uh, Kevin Smith and Danny Romero. There may be an opportunity to uh, broadcast as Internet radio the entire proceedings. There will be an attempt to webcast it as well. Um, I'm not even sure the exact name of the of the website that we have now, but if you put in Philadelphia Emergency Anti-War Convention, July 4th Independence Mall, you're going to find it. Uh, so it, it is there. So again, the idea is, is the diversity of all of these groups. And, and up to now, we've had this funny situation where the peace movement, the impeachment movement, the anti globalization movement, the people fighting against dictatorship for civil liberties, civil rights, the black community, uh, various immigrant groups uh, labor groups this is very important uh, you know the traditional uh, labor constituencies will be represented, and all sorts of others and, and persons of goodwill really of any kind, religious uh, groups, especially the ones that, that that dabble a little bit in in politics or or, or uh, labor rights or things like this, so I look forward to this, and I think it's going to be a tremendous moment of launching something that could be um, extremely important. And again, the starting point is a huge void has opened up with the with what the Democratic Party has done. Uh, it, when you get Pelosi and Reid. Betraying massively the mandate that they received in November of 2006. In a cynical calculation, Pelosi brought the war funding bill to the floor. Pelosi did not have to bring that bill to the floor. She should have refused to bring it to the floor. Say, we're not going to vote on it. Bush vetoed the money. There will be no more bill. The war is over. She brought it to the floor and then covered herself with a cheap trick of voting against it. Harry Reid is, is equally pathetic. Harry Reid has now said at least twice, gee, we really shouldn't have promised to end the war last November because that sets the hurdle too high for us. That's too big a boo for us, isn't it, uh, says Harry Reid. Well, this is parliamentary cretinism of the most despicable sort. And I think beyond this, it ought to be clear to people that if you get somebody like Hillary Clinton as president of the United States, the war in Iraq simply will not end. Uh, there's a very good argument that Hillary Clinton has told the New York Times that she intends to keep fifty to 60,000 U.S. troops in Iraq indefinitely until the cows come home. Uh, they won't be leaving, and that means the dying will continue and the crisis will go on, and those people will be in grave danger of being uh, Well, uh, encircled, which means Dunkirk, if you're lucky, and Stalingrad if you're not so lucky. So that's very, very serious. We've just had the Republican candidates discussing the advisability of tactical nuclear attacks on Iran in a scene which is uh, out of uh, Dr. Strangelove in 1984 combined.
0: There's a five-point plan for the United Front, which meets in Philadelphia on July 4th of this year. What are those five points?
1: What I think is likely at Philadelphia is that we're going to gravitate towards a program that looks something like this. At least this is what is more or less what's going to be proposed by at least one group uh, at the Philadelphia conference. It would be, uh, first of all, end the war in Iraq. But end the war in Iraq. End the war in Afghanistan. Don't attack Iran. Don't attack Sudan. Don't attack Venezuela. Don't have a confrontation with Russia nor with China. Don't extend NATO into Ukraine, Georgia, and places like this. Attempt to pacify the world and turn away from the path of military adventurism. That would be number one. Second one would be impeach Bush-Cheney. Um, impeach Bush-Cheney can be done on the basis of the lies of the Iraq war it can be done on the basis of the uh, NSA wiretaps and other violations of civil liberties. The, the attempted uh, abandonment of habeas corpus is also impeachable in my mind. And then there is a whole series of things having to do with 9-11 that could be very powerful articles of impeachment. Indeed, I personally believe they would be decisive. Others may may think that that's not advisable, and this is exactly what we would have to uh, to talk about. Then we have the question of civil liberties, that we have to reject uh, dictatorship, we have to reject uh, the Patriot Act, we have to reject Abu Ghraib, Guantanamo, uh, the CIA secret prisons, renditions, kidnappings, black sites, opening people's mail, monitoring their library books, and this entire absurd uh, apparatus. And instead we want habeas back and we want want, uh, the rights uh, reaffirmed. So If we've got no to war, no to dictatorship, impeach Bush Cheney, we then want to have some discussion of the question of, uh, in in a sense, people, not bankers. In other words, this country should be uh, directed and governed by the will of the people as expressed by majority vote and not by cliques of bankers, not by the Federal Reserve, the International Monetary Fund, not by. Uh, the Trilateral Commission, the Bilderberger Group, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Bohemian Grove meeting, uh, and, and all of these cliques of, uh, of bankers. And then finally, well, p- part of it that I regard as indispensable, 9-11 truth, that we've got to uh, look at the fact that 9-11 is an inside job. It is a war provocation coming out of the U.S. military security bureaucracy with the goal of getting the war of civilizations. And we need to reject... The lie and the fraud of the so-called global war on terrorism—that this is the basis of U.S. foreign and domestic policy. This this simply has to end. So I think that is a likely, at least a starting point for the discussion, and uh, perhaps not as detailed as I've given it now. Maybe more more telegraphic, but I think that kind of a platform could be uh, extremely effective in influencing. Uh, the sort of honest conservatives or even libertarians in the Republican party who are anti bush anti war anti dictatorship they may have other other points uh, as well and then on the democratic party side you've got people who are anti war anti dictatorship anti bush pro impeachment you've also got a large mass of independents remember the biggest party is the ones who don't vote. And uh, they have to be addressed, and then, above all, the students, because I think there are plenty of signs that the apathy of campuses over the last several decades is now coming to an end. So that would be a sketch, maybe more than a sketch, of the Philadelphia Emergency Anti-War Convention that's going to take place on Independence Mall, right by Independence Hall, right in the heart of Philadelphia, on July 4th, coming up now. Uh, And it's going to be from about noon with the press conference and the proceedings getting going at about one o'clock.
0: Now, in terms of the United Front uh, that you are a part of the planning of on July the 4th in Philadelphia, why is this happening now? Is it basically happening now because of the war funding that the Democratic-controlled Congress put
1: forward? The, the reason why the Philadelphia Emergency Anti-War Coalition is taking place now is just a response to events, and it's a response to this terrible crisis in the peace movement in particular. I think it's also broader, but especially there, and that is the central issue, uh, at least for, for a large part of the electorate, uh, that you see uh, this organizing model from 2003 until 2007. Uh, it's about four years of work where various peace organizations have said, support the Democratic candidates, they will vote to end the war, and as a kind of proviso, don't say anything about 9-11 truth, because then the Democrats won't be able to, to cooperate with you. And that's a, that would, uh, wouldn't work. So it's a crisis. And uh, it's expressed by Cindy Sheehan, in other words, the despair that she's giving voice to and the anger and the, uh, the resentment against the world of the, of the Democratic Party and the controlled foundations and so forth, it seems to me is authentic and it's, it's shared by a lot of people. One, the first thing we want to say to them is don't drop out. Stay, in, stay involved. Because, and this is really a, a part of my argument, too, we're in a party realignment. We are seeing the end of the 40 years of reactionary politics starting well going back to nixon it actually goes back to the chicago democratic convention in nineteen sixty eight which where i protested and and the election of uh, of richard nixon and since then we have had a, a political deck that is stacked in favor of reactionaries warmongers union busters wage gougers um, all the all the forces of, of politics and now we have them in the most extreme form the neocon faction I've talked to people, they say, well, I tried uh, political activism back in 1975 or 1985, and it didn't work, so I had to give up. And I would say, try it again now. Uh, It's a whole different thing to have the historical wind blowing in your face and the historical current going against you in those days. And what it may increasingly be now, may be, and I believe it will be, which is that the tide of events will be with us that the opportunities are going to start emerging. And everything depends on realizing that you're in a totally new political geometry. I would say it is the most unstable political geometry in the United States, not since 1968 or the 1930s or the 1890s, but since the 1850s. In other words, one and a half centuries have gone by since we had such a an unstable political geometry as we see now, it means in particular that the Democratic Party, under the right circumstances, uh, could uh, could split between a warmonger Democrat Party under the leadership of somebody like Hillary Clinton with Joe uh, Lieberman and Joe Biden and the other people who voted for the war, maybe Senator Levin, and then some kind of an anti-war group that wouldn't necessarily—it wouldn't be anti-war Democrats anymore. It would be anti-war, anti-dictatorship, anti-Bush people involved in politics and trying to reach out to their opposite numbers among the conservatives. In other words, one of the things you want to do with this is to uh, go beyond the absurd and obsolete notions of the wedge issues, the left-right divide, the Republican-Democrat punch-and-judy show— um, the controlled environment that's created with a gang and a counter-gang or a gang and a pseudo-gang, the kind of politics that we've seen. And I think that is now at hand.
0: I'm speaking with author and historian Webster Tarpley. Today's show, the Philadelphia Emergency Anti-War Convention. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter.
1: Now, if you want to hear a analysis of, of the way I think the system is Splintering, I could, uh, I could give that to you, though it does take a minute.
0: Well, no, why don't you go ahead? Let's okay. he- let's hear about that.
1: All right. Well, again, I said that it's uh, in my view the most unstable political geometry in 150 years. What I mean by that is this: if you look at the U.S. presidential elections, well, in the past series, right, since since the beginning in the in the 1790s, one of the most chaotic, of course, is the 1861, right, because you've got Vice President Breckinridge running as a pro-slavery Southern Democrat. You've got Senator Stephen Douglas of Illinois running as a Northern Democrat. You've got a guy called Bell who's running for Constitutional Union. It's an appeal to the border states, to Maryland, Kentucky, Missouri, places like this. And then you've got the Republicans with Lincoln. And at that time, you have to Remember this from time to time, that the Republican Party is not always the monstrosity that we see today, which cries out for a decent burial. It used to be, and in the 1850s, I believe was, uh, not, certainly not perfect, but the, the historically necessary vehicle that somebody had to found. So uh, if, if we compare the 1860 election with four candidates, I would have to say what you see now in the U.S. political panorama is... Probably seven candidates, and maybe you help me by keeping score because i don 't have my my notebook in front of me, but it it seems to me you can you can see tendencies emerging uh, that are likely to to fundamentally change the existing party system, some of them good, some of them are absolutely uh, disastrous. Maybe we start with the Republican party. I think it, I see it splintering into at least three uh, component parts, maybe more on the first point, you can see a kind of uh, corporate, country club, boardroom, respectable Republican Party. This would be Rudy McRomney. It would be Giuliani, Romney, McCain, somebody like this. They essentially would offer more of the same, more of Bush, more war with Iraq, more attacks on Iran leading to general war there. They would offer uh, an attack on Sudan. Uh, and they would also offer the continuation of the Bush domestic police state policies. The economics of this group would be so-called free enterprise. You know, that's what uh, what Romney likes to talk about. But, of course, it would be the same thing we've seen, monopolies, cartels, oligopolies, uh, the world of uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, ExxonMobil, Halliburton, and the de- defense profiteers that we've seen. So this is certainly one uh, clear Possibility, But the, Dem- the Republican Party is very unstable. The second one that you see there is a Mexophobia Party. That is a new know-nothing party. Back in the 1850s, remember, you had this very large anti-immigrant party. At that time, anti-Catholic, anti-Irish, anti-German, today anti-Mexican and other uh, foreign workers. Uh, Congressman Tancredo has been a pretty uh, weak spokesman for this, but he seems to be the spokesman. And this, of course, would include the Minutemen, the vigilantes, uh, who remind me, at least, of the Italian fascists who went to Fiume in 1919 and began fighting along the frontier with Yugoslavia. That's where Italian fascism actually comes from. Or. Uh, the German Freikorps, the German militias, going to the Baltic frontier of Germany and fighting against Poles and Russians and Bolsheviks and people that they found there. And that's the origin of the Nazi party. In other words, what I'm trying to say is that when you get a group of people who are uh, disgruntled war veterans who may be armed who go to the frontier or the border and announce that they're going to save the fatherland from the foreign menace, this is a very, very dangerous combination. And uh, I, I deplore it. And, uh, but that's certainly one of the things you can see emerging in the, in the, uh, in the Republican Party. Naturally, Wall Street is delighted to uh, direct the fear and economic resentment of people towards uh, the uh, terrified and often super-exploited Mexican workers. Uh, this is simply a, it's a cynical scapegoating operation. But when you get scapegoating on that scale, you have to wonder... Where that will end, and of course, the 1930 s give us some idea of where it might might indeed end, and of course that's that 's unspeakable. I wonder to what degree the people who embrace the mexophobia realize that if they really want to deport twelve million people, they will have a police state right there. that will be a totalitarian police state because that is the only way. That could be done. So there'd be a lot more to be said about this one, but let's just move on. Then you have the Ron Paul phenomenon. I, I'm, I'm not impressed by Ron Paul. My my enthusiasm for him is decidedly contained. It's nice to have a Republican who's anti-war, anti-dictatorship, and anti-Bush, but I would also point out that his program seems to reject the general welfare clause of the Constitution. I don't see what future there would be for Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, unemployment insurance, food stamps, Head Start, WIC, and all of these other vital programs that keep people alive right now. Sounds like his Austrian school economics and libertarian economics means that none of that is allowed to happen. It is nice to have somebody acting as a wrecking ball inside the Republican Party, though. But that gives us three already. Now, if we look at the Democratic Party, I think you can see two obvious directions. One is the neocon warmonger Democrats. That looks to me like Hillary Clinton, above all, Biden, um, a number of others, Lieberman, uh, Senator Levin, and so forth. And and their idea seems to be to continue the war in Iraq under slightly different uh, auspices and conditions. They are absolutely open to attacking Iran. Lieberman is calling for it. Mrs. Clinton can hardly contain her desire to attack Iran. I think it's a struggle for her to hide that when she goes into these debates. And if you saw her hissing about retaliation when she was asked one of these lunatic scenario questions uh, in one of the recent Democratic debates, I think you can see that her her instinct is to compensate for whatever uh, weaknesses she thinks she may have by, by being a bigger warmonger. Then the next person, I think that's, that's pretty clearly there. The economics here, by the way, would be Malthusian. They would be the Al Gore global warming economics, which for these people means that there's going to be a carbon tax and a new round of austerity crushing austerity imposed on the population, with the pretext that that's going to be to save the planet. But in reality, that will be to prop up the Wall Street banks and the bankrupt dollar, and there will be no end to that, because that, that is simply an impossible project, but you can kill lots and lots of people in the, in the process of trying to do it. Then we've got a group that I would leave towards the end, because it seems to me this is the most viable grouping, potentially, which would be the people who are today anti-war Democrats, anti-war, anti-Bush, anti-dictatorship. This is a very large group. But uh, right now it doesn't seem that they have any direction, because the leaders of the party, again, in the House and Senate, have simply betrayed all of these causes. They They haven't done anything on any of them. Now, the argument doesn't end there. I think we're up to five. Another possibility there's always the possibility of a kind of petty bourgeois centrist party claiming good government right the eternal illusion of the uh, of the prim middle classes and this would be Bloomberg the mayor of New York Hegel Senator Hegel of Nebraska Bloomberg Hegel Hegel Bloomberg Bloomberg can uh, can use his billions Hegel can use the fact that he controls one of the principal or, or has been associated in the past with one of the main vote fraud companies making these uh, electronic uh, vote-tallying machines. And they would come on with anti-partisanship, anti-corruption, very big, anti-pork. <laughs> of course, pork pork means that the Congress is supposed to deliver economic progress, but they call it pork. Uh, they'd probably be looking for entitlement reform, take away your Social Security that way. Um, they would be promising efficient government, no red tape, no bureaucracy, and things like this. Their economics would probably be Malthusian, but something like global warming light. In other words, a carbon tax, but not as onerous as the, as the Hillary Clinton, uh, Joe Biden, or, or, uh, or Lieberman version. So that's then a sixth And then there's the seventh, which is secessionism. And this leads you in many, many different directions. You've got a movement for secession in Vermont, which is being pushed by Fox News. There's, of course, a movement for secessionism here in the Pacific Northwest, right, in Washington State. Alaska has had one in the past. And all of that can be revved up. I think this is largely foundation-funded and uh, profoundly artificial. But there it is, seven. So I'm looking forward with great enthusiasm and eager anticipation for the uh, Philadelphia Emergency Anti-War Convention. It's July 4th, starts around noon with a press conference, gets going at 1 p.m., goes until clarity has been reached, I don't know, and, uh, and that's uh, the Independence Visitor Center on Independence Mall in the heart of Philadelphia, uh, July 4th.
0: Now, there have always been a lot of different political factions, but you feel that the political factionalism today is leading to an instability that is unusual. Right. And right. that's what you're saying.
1: Yes. And and you, for example, look, look at the Republicans. Uh, you'll see that, 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 that but there are a lot of Republicans who are now openly attacking Bush. Uh, and it's very, very interesting. The, the candidates refuse to mention him. They don't want anybody to think that they have anything to do with Bush. And you'll see that the polls show that the Republican voters don't like any of the candidates that currently exist. So they want Fred Thompson or some other chimera, right, somebody who's going to come and save them, right? You think of waiting for lefty. They're waiting for righty, some guy who's going to come on the scene with magical powers and rescue them from this terrible predicament. When you see that 50 to 60 percent of the people uh, who, who come into Fox News or the other ones on the internet and, and express a preference after these debates, 50 to 60 percent of them like Ron Paul, what that really says is there's a very significant dissident group that can't stand any of the mainstream, mainline candidates. And I think that indicates tremendous, uh, tremendous instability. So, these are all symptoms of grave instability. Now, Bloomberg, again, Bloomberg has split. B- Bloomberg, whatever Republican he was, he's now an independent. Uh, that's a fairly big thing, right? The Republican Party has lost the mayor of the biggest city, and he's obviously getting to, getting ready to run on this uh, good government stuff. Now, that's already a third party, and it's a third party by virtue of the fact that he can spend unlimited billions of his own fortune uh, on doing it.
0: I'm speaking with author and historian Webster Tarpley. Today's show, the Philadelphia Emergency Anti-War Convention. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. I'd like to talk a bit about the wars.
1: I would remind people, we had a brush with the war with Iran. The end of March, we had this moment, I believe it's the 28th of March, we get the warning by Putin to Bush saying, remember, you voted in the Security Council that the recourse to force against Iran is categorically excluded. Remember that. Now, coming from Putin, that's a warning. That says, watch what you do, dear friends, because we are here, too, and we are armed to the teeth. So uh, that obviously had an impact. The point is, again, that the entire strategic debate behind the scenes revolves around the attack on Iran. This is the central point. And that is why On February 1st, Zbigniew Brzezinski told the Senate Foreign Relations Committee that there's a grave danger, there's an operative scenario to get a war with Iran, which is based on a terrorist act in the United States to be blamed on Iran, which will furnish the pretext for the attack. That's Zbigniew Brzezinski, former head of the National Security Council. Now, if I am Senator Kerry or Senator Biden, or Senator Dodd, or any of these other distinguished senators on that committee, I would ask, how do you know that? Who's doing that? Where is it? Tell me everything you know. If you're not willing to tell me, I'm going to subpoena you. I'm going to put you under cross-examination here. I want to know the answer. I'm going to hold hearings. Because what he's basically, what Brzezinski is basically saying is the Cheney faction is going to concoct a new terrorist attack in order to generate the war with Iran. That's high treason. That's insurrection. That's uh, essentially the the gravest of all possible crimes against the nation. Uh, The senators who heard that owe us something more than sitting there and nodding and clucking or whatever they did. In particular, Mrs. Clinton, you want to be president of the United States, tell me what you've done to investigate and to shut down the, the monstrous operation that Zbigniew Brzezinski is talking about. And so far as I know, the Democrats have done absolutely nothing.
0: And I'd also like to talk a little bit about this spate of articles in the last month or two about how to survive a nuclear attack. Right here from the uh, San Francisco Chronicle in May of 2007, Contingencies for Nuclear Terrorist Attack, Government Working Up Plan to Prevent Chaos in Wake of Bombing of Major City.
1: Well, this is the typical propaganda of the Cheney faction, and I'm sure Chertoff over at Homeland Security has, has got his hand in it. And I think all of this stuff speaks for itself. In other words, these, these are people who are eagerly preparing martial law. There's a whole class of bureaucrats, typified for me by Richard Clark, who feel that if you had martial law, they would be running a dictatorship. Their power would be immense. They would not be checked. Uh, and, of course, uh, probably in, included in this is the idea that uh, people have these countdown clocks about the end of the Bush administration, which is supposed to be January 20th, 2009. But under those scenarios, it won't be, because he would be frozen in power under martial law. I think, however, there's another dimension of this which is even even scarier. We are now in the midst of a new Cold War with Russia. We've had Putin in Munich in February warning that the current situation is more dangerous than it ever was during the Cold War. He's been uh, repeating that those ideas in his press conference at the Group of Eight, where he points out that Russia categorically rejects the uh, anti-ballistic missile systems to be placed in Poland and the Czech Republic, does not want the independence of Kosovo against the wishes of Serbia, and especially under the domination of the KLA. Organization in uh, in Albania or Kosovo in this case, which is a gun running, uh, drug running terrorist uh, organization. Uh, with, <laughs> it's closely linked to Al Qaeda for whatever that's worth. Zawahiri's cousin, I guess, is involved in this thing. Uh, and of course, this is this is, these are NATO's favorite uh, KLA terrorists and 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 gun runners. But now, if we look at uh, what Putin is saying, if we look at the test of the Topol M missile, the new Bulova. Soviet or Russian uh, intercontinental ballistic missile and so on down the line, what you see is that we're going also now towards a possible confrontation of the great powers. This is no longer excluded or largely excluded in the way it might have been uh, 10 or 15 years ago. And in particular, I would point to the article in Foreign Affairs magazine of the Council on Foreign Relations by Professor Lieber and Press, which appeared in the March-April issue last year, more than a year ago now, which talked about the advisability of a U.S. first strike, a sneak attack, possibly with nuclear weapons, but in any case targeting the Russian and Chinese strategic nuclear forces, ICBMs, strategic bombers, submarines, and the like. Now, what Putin is essentially arguing is that if you put together that first strike mentality with a limited anti-ballistic missile system in Eastern Europe, that is a preparation for the first strike. What Putin is pointing to is that we're now drifting towards a strategic confrontation that takes us straight back to something like the Cuban Missile Crisis, where you're talking not about thousands of people dying in Iraq, but uh, tens of millions in the matter of a couple of hours. So Again, the neocon fascist madmen have got to be driven out of public life. They've got to be quarantined on the world stage. Probably one of the most dangerous people in the world right now is Elliot Abrams, the convicted Iran-Contra felon, who is apparently the dominant personality now in the White House. On paper, he's the number two of the National Security Council. In reality, he seems to be running... The United States government uh, more more uh, criminal energy than Bush certainly, and more than Stephen Hadley. Uh, he's the one who does the Middle East, and we're of course at the point now where Cheney is interested in launching the summer war in the Middle East, involving uh, Lebanon with that that uh, U.S. counter gang that's been fighting in in uh, Tripoli and in, in northern Lebanon. That's a U.S. sponsored organization that's supposed to kill the real Palestinians and kill. The Hezbollah people put that together with, uh, with the uh, events going on now with Hamas in the, in the Gaza Strip and the provocations along the, the Gulf. You've got, you've got the recipe for a Middle East regional war that would slide into a world war. So, again, we've, we've identified you know quite, a, quite an array of, of threats. And, again, the answer to all of that is, is to remove the neocons from public life and, and deprive them of their influence.
0: And finally, I'm looking at an article from the Washington Post, uh, May 2007, Bush Changes Continuity Plan. Administration, not Department of Homeland Security, would run shadow government. President Bush issued a formal national security directive yesterday ordering agencies to prepare contingency plans for a surprise decapitating attack on the federal government and assigned responsibility for coordinating such plans to the White House. Can he just arbitrarily do that?
1: Well, he can do it unless uh, somebody's willing to impeach him. Uh, That is to say, there's always a remedy, and it's prominent in the Constitution. It's mentioned more than half a dozen times. uh, It's impeachment and and removal from office and indictment and conviction and imprisonment after that, uh, I should add. This is a uh, very, very vague executive order now, which uh, essentially allows Bush to declare martial law to suspend uh, the normal legal system, to declare the state of siege, the state of war, in effect, uh, any time he wants. It has no objective correlatives. In other words, it doesn't require a terrorist attack inside the United States or some kind of huge natural emergency or anything of the sort. He's free to declare martial law for any reason at his whim, his caprice. He's not checked he 's not balanced he 's not subjected to verification or review of any kind, well, perhaps through the the courts but unfortunately we 've got this pre constituted fascist majority in the Supreme Court waiting to uh, rubber stamp what he what he wants to do if it gets to that so uh, it 's a very, very vague, very sloppy uh, open door invitation to activate this continuity of government, which is one of the most sinister parts of the entire regime that we have now, which, uh, again, this was activated, it was activated by Richard Clark on the day of 9-11, uh, and it would seem that, uh, according to some accounts, the continuity of government has never really gone back to normal after 9-11. That is, we are to some degree perhaps uh, looking at a permanent continuity of government regime with Bush acting as, as the spokesman. And again, the, the only answer to something like that is uh, what we saw in Spain in March of 2004, after NATO intelligence set off those bombs in the Madrid subway system, uh, the general strike, a spontaneous, open-ended general strike of the Spanish people, got up to about one-third of the entire population in the plazas of Spain, two million people in the streets in Madrid. And, of course, when you get something like that, the ruling class begins to get the jitters, because something like that, if people realize the power inherent in such a mobilization, they might institute a whole series of rather radical reforms that would not be so good for oligarchs and financiers and the other people who have been running the show.
0: And finally, Webster, one of uh, the five points of the United Front that is going to meet in Philadelphia on July 4th, as you have mentioned several times, is calling for the impeachment of Bush Cheney. But Speaker of the House uh, Nancy Pelosi has said that impeachment is off the table. And John Conyers is not calling for it anymore.
1: Well, this this is precisely the the, the folly of, of uh, subordinating yourself to the to the Democratic Party. Their mandate was essentially stop Bush, stop the war. Uh, that is what people voted for, and I think there's there's you know vast public support for this, majority support clearly on on stopping the war. Um, they have betrayed all of that. This, is, this gets us back. This is the root of the unprecedented historical crisis of the Democratic Party. It's a party that says, vote for us. We'll put Bush on a leash. We'll stop the war. And now they're saying, we're not going to lay a glove on him. That is a, a, a flagrant disregard of the Constitution. It's not up to the parliamentary cretin Mrs. Pelosi or the parliamentary cretin Conyers to tell us what's on the table and what's not. Impeachment is on the table because the Constitution puts it there. And these uh, people have no constitutional ability to take it off the table. It's there, and it stays on the table. It's an essential check and balance in this government. We take the Constitution very seriously in that regard. So they've betrayed the movement on impeachment. They've betrayed the movement on on the war, and they're largely in the process of betraying the one on, on civil liberties. Uh, and and related topics, right, the dictatorship and the police state. So what more do you need? Have you had enough of the Democratic Party? Isn't it time to create a focus for independent political action, not bound to this rotten two-party system, which is in the process of breaking up? The system's breaking up, and it's time not to be bound to the Democratic Party, which is itself in in a tremendous crisis, but to strike out and create some kind of an independent poll of action. And that's that's what the Philadelphia Emergency Anti-War Convention, July 4th, Independence Mall, right right across from Independence Hall, where it all started about noon, that's that's what that is uh, going to be concerned with.
0: Webster Tarpley, thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Bonnie. It's always a pleasure. Something happening, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What it is ain't
3: exactly clear. There's a
0: I've been speaking with author and historian, Webster Tarpley. Today's show, the Philadelphia Emergency Anti-War Convention. Webster Tarpley is an author, historian, investigative journalist, and lecturer. He is author of 9-11 Synthetic Terror, Made in the USA, Surviving the Cataclysm, A Study of the World Financial Crisis, and Against Oligarchy. In 1992, he co-authored George Bush, The Unauthorized Biography. Visit his website at www.tarpley.net. That's T-A-R-P-L-E-Y dot net. Email him at tarpley at tarpley dot net. Thanks to Todd Fletcher for research assistance for this program. Guns and Butter is edited and produced by Bonnie Faulkner and Yara Mako. To leave comments or order copies of this show, email us at faulkner at gunsandbutter.net. That's F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R at gunsandbutter.net. Or visit our website at (laughs) www.gunsandbutter.net.
3: Revolution, which is the evolution of the mind. If you see Trying to steal your life. You know what I'm saying? Look what this yourself just for peace. Give thanks, live life, and release. You dig me?